Hello, everyone. You're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Shannon Deaton and Jason Creekmore. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we will be discussing two American companies that have reshaped life in America and beyond. That is Walmart and Ford. This is the third in a series of episodes where we discuss the greatest companies in American history. Previously, we have discussed Nike and McDonald's and Facebook and Disney. I like all those. All, all are well. <laughs> and that mysterious voice you hear is, is the voice of a man who loves to drive his Ford into the Walmart parking lot and listen to podcasts. Jason Creekmore, how are you, man? Merka. <laughs> I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I really like this series. I, I like talking about these American companies. It always surprises me. Yeah, every company uh, just has some interesting facts that just blows your mind away. They do. And I always wonder when we think about these companies and discuss them, whether or not the people who did these amazing things were just in the right place at the right time, or whether they really are like geniuses. Probably a little of both, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, because I've, I've, I've had that same exact thought before. So, so how do you and I get in the right place at the right time and then also be geniuses at that? <laughs> I don't know. Can, can we train for that? <laughs> maybe, maybe Slapdash is uh, is going to be our thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Right place, right time. You're a genius. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here at the I've table. T- I've told my wife that forever. So right place, right time. <laughs> Does she agree with you? No. <laughs> You were quick on that draw, man. (laughs) So let's just begin our discussion with Walmart. So we'll talk about the history of Walmart. We'll discuss some of the cultural impact, and then we'll transition over into Ford. So just a few quick facts about Walmart. Walmart was founded by Sam Walton in 1962. And as of January 31st, 2020, Walmart has 11,503 stores and clubs not like nightclubs, but like Sam's Club. Sam, his own personal club. <laughs> his own club uh, in 27 different countries operating under 56 different names. Hmm. So they're not all just called Walmart. There, there's some different branding out there. Walmart is the world's largest company by revenue with $514 billion, according to the Fortune Global 500 list in 2019. Walmart is the largest private employer in the world with... Can you guess how many employees? Oh, my gosh. I have. I, no, I can't. But whatever it is, it needs to be more. Because every time <laughs> I go to a Walmart, there's like two people that are working, you know, sort of checking you out. <laughs> there's not so, enough so people whatever it is, to it serve your it needs. It should be more. Right. I, last week, we talked about the top 20 candy bars. And I remember you saying that Hershey, I think it was Hershey, employed something like 15,000 employees. Yeah, I thought, crazy. man, that's a lot of it's people. a lot of people. Yeah. Well. Walmart employs 2.2 million employees. So, oh my God. Take that, Hershey. Lee, <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. That is crazy, man. So, Sam Walton obviously is the founder. He was born on March 29th, 1918. He grew up on a farm with his parents in Kingfisher, Oklahoma, until the family left for Missouri in 1923. He became the youngest Eagle Scout in the state's history and in adulthood became a recipient of the Distinguished Eagle Scout Award from the Boy Scouts of America. Sam grew up during the Great Depression, and as such, he did chores to help make financial ends meet for his family. So some of these chores including milking the family cow, bottling the surplus, and driving it to customers. So the first Walmart delivery service was uh, agricultural <laughs> was, was actually nature. was actually him right that's right yeah afterwards he delivered newspapers for the columbia daily tribune on a paper route and upon graduating from david h hickman high school in columbia missouri sam was voted most 
versatile boy. How does one earn a title such as most versatile boy? It sounds like a superhero. <laughs> it does, yeah. Versatile boy. It's like the boy wonder, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sam attended college at the University of Missouri and worked various odd jobs during the time, including waiting tables in exchange for meals. He graduated in 1940 with a bachelor's degree in economics, and he was voted, I thought this was interesting, permanent president of his graduating class. Wow. He was just that well thought of, right? Must have been. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting, the name permanent president. It's like, you know. Could, could he, like, 40 years later, call a meeting and everybody has to show up? <laughs> just just send an agenda meeting? out? Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. yeah, send an agenda. <laughs> you haven't heard from me for uh, for a while, but, you know, as your permanent president. <laughs> I know none of you were born. Uh, I have a few executive <laughs> orders. <laughs> when, I, when I was in charge of the last meeting, I know it's been, you know, like four decades, but. <laughs> yeah. So he did work for J.C. Penney for a time. Uh, three days after graduating college, Sam became a management trainee at J.C. Penney in Des Moines, Iowa. The position paid him $75 a month, and Sam spent 18 months with the company. $75 a month. Man. Wow. That's, that's, that's wild. Pretty cool. So he was, you know, he was cutting his teeth a little bit here on the retail management world. You know, some might say he was, you know, just still a young whippersnapper a little <laughs> yeah. bit. And uh, yeah, what is a whippersnapper? I don't, I don't know, but I'm sure you could probably purchase one at Walmart. <laughs> I bet you can. <laughs> and they can only be purchased by children because why, why is it Why is it the children are the whippersnappers? Yeah, you know, I've, I've not seen a kid snapping a whip. <laughs> not lately. Yeah, I don't think I have ever. <laughs> Maybe in the 1940s. I don't know. So in 1945, at age 26, Sam bought a branch of the Ben Franklin stores from the Butler Brothers. His original focus was to sell products at low prices to get higher volume sales at a lower profit margin. This was portrayed as a crusade for the consumer. So he was saying that I'm going to sell things at lower prices and hopefully by doing so, I'm going to sell more stuff. And that's kind of the Walmart manifesto today. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Sales increased 45% in his first year of ownership to $105,000 in revenue, which increased to $140,000 the next year and $175,000 the year after that. So he was a pretty fair businessman. Things kind of trending upward. Within the fifth year, the store was generating $250,000 in revenue. And Jason, I would say that's a long way from $75 a month. <laughs> I think he's done well for himself. He's worked, in what, worked his way up. So when the lease expired on his building... He wasn't able to negotiate a new lease. Apparently, the folks who owned the building he was in wanted a little bit too much money from young Sam Walton. So instead, he opened a new store in Bentonville, Arkansas, and he named it Walton's Five and Dime. And this was the really the predecessor. You know, he had the previous store, but this was the first one that really had his name on the company banner. So it was Walton's Five and Dime. And that store is now the Walmart Museum. So you can still go see it today. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's kind of set up and you can see how it all began. On July 2nd, 1962, Walton opened the first Walmart Discount City store in Rogers, Arkansas. And within its first five years, the company expanded to 24 stores in Arkansas and reached $12.6 million in sales. This type of success just blows my mind. I've, I've never seen anything like this personally where it's just like every single year you're like doubling and doubling and doubling to to where it just reaches this behemoth 
of and, the company. Yeah, and really Walmart is is a relatively like new company. You said I think it started in nineteen nineteen forty five is when the well it's when he kind of got going. That nineteen sixty two is when he opened the first the first proper Walmart. Walmart, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, but even with that, uh, it's not that old. No, I mean that's 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 just a lot of money and a lot of development in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. So the company was incorporated as Walmart Incorporated on October 31st, 1969, and changed its name to Walmart Stores Incorporated in 1970. By 1975, there were 125 stores with 7,500 employees and total sales of $340.3 million. In the 1980s, Walmart continued growing rapidly, and by the company's 25th anniversary in 1987, there were 1,198 stores with sales of $15.9 billion and 200,000 associates. So 200,000 associates, but by today's standards, that would still be a lot. Oh, it's massive, yeah. It's massive, and yet... They have, what, 2.2 million uh, as of today? Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's just insane. Crazy. By 1990, Walmart surpassed its rivals, Kmart and Sears, becoming the largest U.S. retailer by revenue. Hmm. And I remember when a lot of those Kmart and Sears stores started shutting down. Yeah. Oh, well, there was one in, uh, in Somerset. Uh, you know, Kentucky that just closed down, I think maybe around November. Yeah. Like this past November. Yeah. And that Kmart had been there like my entire life, I remember. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it recently shut down. When I was growing up, I always looked at Walmart and Kmart almost as the same thing. They didn't yeah. seem like they had a lot of differences. But as I got older and older, I started seeing Walmart branching out and doing all sorts of different things. Yeah. And, you know, they were cutting hair and they were providing changing tires. services, changing <laughs> tires, changing oil, selling groceries. I mean, they really became sort of a one-stop shop in a way. Now, Walmart has been involved uh, with the environment in a variety of ways. In the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in September 2005, Walmart used its logistics network to organize a rapid response to the disaster. They donated $20 million, 1,500 truckloads of merchandise, food for 100,000 meals, and the promise of a job for every one of its displaced workers. So that's kind of a neat, neat thing. Wow. Kind of a cool move by Walmart. Walmart used its knowledge of supply chains, infrastructure, decision makers, and other resources to provide emergency supplies and reopen stores well before FEMA began its response. And Hmm. that's just fascinating to me. You have this national organization responsible for responding to disasters. That's their primary task. That's their bread and butter. And then you have Walmart that sells electronics and shirts and food. Toothpaste. Toothpaste. (laughs) (laughs) And and they have a quicker response to a disaster than FEMA, just because they were so well connected within each of these communities. Uh, Walmart's undergone uh, several design and branding changes over the years. In 2006, Walmart announced that it would remodel its U.S. stores to help it appeal to a wider variety of demographics, including more affluent shoppers. So it wanted to cater to folks who had a little bit more money to spend. So to that end, the company launched a new store in Plano, Texas that included high-end electronics, jewelry, expensive wines, and a sushi bar. So oh, wow. I didn't you, know that. You ever wanted to go into Walmart and have some sushi? Uh, I'm not a big sushi fan. I don't think I've ever wanted to go any, anywhere and have sushi. <laughs> no, ever. <laughs> Just not my thing. In 2007, Walmart replaced its previous slogan of always low prices, always, to the slogan, save money, live better. And I've heard that one quite a bit. Yeah. In 2008, Walmart removed the hyphen from its logo. It used to be Walmart, or I'm sorry, Wall-Mart. Oh, yeah. 
it took that out in 2007 and replaced the star that it used to have with a spark symbol. Do you, have you seen oh, this yes. one recently? Oh, yeah. It's on yeah. all the buildings. I know what you're talking about, yeah. It resembles like a sunburst or a flower, yeah. something like that, and it's yellow. Now, Walmart, in addition to all of the, the good things that it's done, there there have been a few criticisms, unfortunately. Well, it's a big company. Things are going to happen, right? It's got to happen. Yeah. So Walmart's been the subject to uh, criticism from various groups and individuals, including labor unions, community groups, grassroots organizations, religious organizations, environmental groups, firearm groups, and the company's own customers and employees. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty big list as long as they are buying products we're we're okay (laughs) i think that's the company's philosophy that that might be why they get some of the criticism (laughs) these folks have protested against the company's policies and business practices including the company's foreign product sourcing treatment of suppliers employee compensation and working conditions and environmental practices the company denies doing anything wrong because of course they do and maintains that low prices are the result of efficiency you know, not mistreating people. <laughs> right. We do things the right way. That's right? right. So there have been several lawsuits, some of these more recent. In March 2018, Walmart was sued by former director of business development for claims of misleading e-commerce performance results in favor of the company. So whenever they would report to their shareholders, they reported that they were doing a little bit better than perhaps they were doing, at least according to that particular mm-hmm. lawsuit. In September t- 2018, Walmart was sued by Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, alleging that Walmart denied requests from pregnant employees to limit heavy lifting. Hmm. So again, you know, all all allegations, but interesting nonetheless. In May of 2019, the Center for Inquiry sued Walmart, alleging that Walmart was selling ineffective fake medical products alongside real medicine at at least one of its locations in the same sections of the store under the same signs. So they were essentially selling uh, pseudoscientific methods and medicines that weren't really medicines in the scientific sense, but that it was right next to the Tylenol, you know, and right next to the quote unquote real medicine. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 I hadn't heard that. Kind of wild. Uh, there's also been a large amount of crime that has taken place at Walmart over the years. I can't imagine. <laughs> Have you ever seen a YouTube video <laughs> where crime takes place at Walmart? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have pretty much seen everything go down into Walmart. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Black Friday oh, yeah. shopping. You know, uh, I've, uh, I went one time just to see what it was like. <laughs> And uh, what was it like? I saw what it was like, and I'll I'll never go again. I mean, it was, was it the blackest of, of Fridays. Some of some of the worst characteristics of humanity uh, came out that <laughs> night, you know. And it was for things like a toaster. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I saw people like you know trying to knock each other down, and and they were just sort of uh, cursing each other out. Oh man, for like a nine ninety nine toaster or whatever, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I was just like, you know, I'm I'm here strictly just to observe these events. I want nothing that you you know. There's nothing in here you have that i'm here to buy I, right. i'm just here solely for the entertainment purposes of this tonight. <laughs> somebody didn't believe that just like sucker punch i saw you look at that toaster boy <laughs> yeah that's my toaster that's my toaster uh, according to an August 2016 report by Bloomberg Businessweek, aggressive cost-cutting decisions that began in 2000 by Walmart led to a significant increase in crime in stores across the U.S. I don't know if I understand the correlation there very well. So they reduced prices, and in doing so, that raised the crime rate. So kind of an interesting uh, 
<laughs> report. There. I'm not sure I fully understand that. <laughs> but, but, you know, back to your point about the Black Friday sales, maybe right. it's something similar to that. You're you're drawing in a certain brand of folks who want their $10 toasters. Just the supplies going down or sort of limited, I guess. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, in 2015, Walmart began a company-wide campaign to reduce crime that included spot-checking receipts at exits. And that, oh, yeah. that didn't yep. start too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, stationing employees at self-checkout areas, high-level security cameras, and high-theft areas. I only see uh, a few of these security cameras, and I didn't realize they were in high-theft areas. But uh, I have three young daughters, and there's some right in front of the baby food. So apparently... Folks really? are picking up a lot of baby food. Huh. And in our Walmart locally, uh, there's also uh, a camera over like in the deodorant slash toothpaste section. Huh. So again, that's probably something kind of e- interesting. Maybe easy to steal easy or to, get to put to. in a purse or something like that. I think so. They also increase security by using data analytics to detect credit fraud, uh, hiring off-duty police officers and private security officers, and reducing calls to police with a program by which first-time responders caught stealing merchandise below a certain value can avoid arrest if they agree to go through a theft prevention program. So kind of kind of interesting. I, I think Walmart in a lot of areas puts a lot of these calls into these police stations, a, a lot of calls. Um, law enforcement agencies across the U.S. have noted a burden, in fact, on resources <laughs> <laughs> created by a disproportionate number of calls from Walmart. Really? Yeah. For one area in Florida, it's estimated that 25% of arrests in the region are made at just one Walmart. So a fourth of oh all gosh. criminal activity is taking place at Walmart. Welcome to Walmart. <laughs> That's, That's right. crazy. I know there was one scam uh, several years ago where uh, there was that there were some folks that would uh, sort of scour the parking lots at Walmart and they would find receipts that people had dropped. Oh, really? And they would take the receipts and then they would go back. Then they would go into Walmart and if there were small items, they would steal the items and then take them out. Okay, so they would steal them out of Walmart and then get a Walmart bag, oh, take the items in, back. in the receipt, and then take them back in uh, to get their money back. Oh, wow. Uh, for them. Yeah. And so I just thought, I thought, my goodness, how, what a long process that would be. I mean, Man, it just seems to like, get your buck 50 off I think some I toothpaste. Would, I think I'd just be, I think I'd be honest. Yeah. <laughs> like I would do that. But yeah. That's that a lot was, of effort. Yeah. Yep. yeah that, that could take a couple of hours to, yeah, to do. For just something so, so, you know, such, so, such small things. Yeah. Wow. In addition to hundreds of thousands of petty crimes, more than 200 violent crimes, including attempted kidnappings, stabbings, shootings, and murders, occurred at Walmart stores across the U.S. in 2016. And and just when that comes out of my mouth, it just it's, it's stunning. <laughs> it's what it is. Murders. Yeah. Mur- legitimate, like high profile crimes, not just people stealing things, but kidnappings, stabbings, shootings. Just isn't that wild? That's crazy. Crazy. In 2019, in fact, 22 people were killed in a mass shooting at a Walmart store in El Paso, Texas. Oh, my God. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. that They've upped their security a bit. They're trying some things to get it to be a little bit safer. But, you know, regardless of, of all that, people flock in droves. To Walmart. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, like at Christmas, you know, so right after the uh, the Black Friday shopping, pretty much any time, like from that point on all the way to Christmas, it's like just total chaos in there. Yeah. I mean, you can't find a parking spot. Usually you have to like park at a uh, a nearby restaurant somewhere else, walk, walk in. Yeah. And it's, it's just shoulder to shoulder. And I mean, I'm sure they're probably breaking some fire codes at some point. <laughs> 
you know, in there. But yeah, it's just it's complete madness. It's madhouse. Yeah, you know, Walmart is just a cultural staple. It's something right. oh, that yeah. I have no memory of not having a Walmart. I just know we would go there for all of our needs growing up. It was the place, just whatever, yeah. to get everything. It's been part of the American economic landscape for over fifty years. Which, in comparison, that that is a fairly short amount of time, right? For as large of a company as it's become, it's a one-stop shop for nearly everything the American family needs, and I think that's what they pride themselves on. That you can come in here, you can buy your groceries, you can get your medical supplies. You can have your vision care. You can pick up a jewelry, toys, automotive parts, and the list just goes on and on and on. So that's sort of the comprehensive background of Sam Walton, you know, founding the company, leading it up through today. And I don't think there's any end in sight. Walmart just continues to grow and grow and grow. And you see fewer and fewer of these general stores that used to be in communities. But as Walmart's come in and sort of shut those down. I saw one study, and I'm going to misquote it a bit here, I think, but you'll get the the spirit of of what it was. It was something like within 10 years of a Walmart showing up in a community, something like 50% of its revenue is funneled into Walmart instead of where it used to be, into the other local stores, the mom and pop shops. So, you know, that's that's kind of a staggering statistic. You know, you I've, uh, I've mentioned that uh, my wife and I, we've hosted exchange students, you know, over the last couple of years. Yeah. And uh, all three of them, they were from different countries and they were fascinated by Walmart that they had. Oh, really? Yeah, that uh, neither of them really had had. A, they have a store in their countries like that where they could just go. So like anytime we were at home and, you know, Mindy would say, hey, you want to go to Walmart? They were like, oh, yeah, because I mean, they just had never really seen like stores that just had everything like that. Literally everything. You know, yeah, like they, you'd have to go to different, you know, different departments or different stores to get everything that you would need yeah and so you know i guess maybe in in other countries it's just you know uh not that way yeah Yeah. kind kind of cool so walmart's an interesting place but we also have another interesting company to discuss and an interesting background story as well so jason do you want to talk to us a little bit about the ford motor company hey absolutely uh the ford motor company was founded in 1903 by of course henry ford ever heard of that fellow i've heard of him yeah Initially, there were 12 different investors, including John and Horace Dodge, which that's kind of an interesting point. Nope. So they kind of went on and did their thing a little bit later on. But Henry Ford originally worked at the Edison Illuminating Company owned by Thomas Edison. But while there, he became fascinated with gasoline-powered engines. So, Shannon, I'm going to talk about one very strange story (laughs) concerning Henry Ford and Thomas Edison at the end of the podcast. But first, let's get into a little of the, just the Ford history. Let's do it. During the first few years of operation, Ford was manufacturing only a few cars each day. But within a decade, the company mastered the moving assembly line and began just, you know, massive, massive production. Just churning things out, huh? One after another. In 1908, the famous Model T car uh, began being produced and was affordable to many in the general public. After the moving assembly line was implemented, the production time of a Ford vehicle went from approximately 11 and a half hours to about an hour and a half. Wow. So one car coming out every roughly 90 minutes, and that was in like the, you know, not somewhere around 1910 to 1914. Man, for revenue, that's that's oh, yeah. insane. It's crazy. Yeah. This quick production time was critical during World War One when Ford began supplying the United States military thousands of vehicles. Also, in 1914, the average wage of factory workers was $2.50 per day. But in 1914, Henry Ford doubled the wages of his workers overnight 
paying them $5 each day, which was just simply unheard of in those days by any other company. Wow. I, I bet people really like that. Yeah, oh, yeah. We, you know, especially during World War One. I, I mean, things a little tough you know, during that time period there moving forward. Employee morale greatly increased, as did the level of discretionary funds uh, that his employees had. So now Ford's employees could actually purchase one of the vehicles that they were actually assembling during the day. Hmm. So this was a win-win situation for both parties. During the 1920s, uh, the Ford Motor Company grew by leaps and bounds as the economy soared throughout the decade. In 1927, the Model A became the first car to utilize a safety windshield. And in 1929, Ford was even contracted by the government of the Soviet Union to set up the Gorky Automobile Plant in Russia. Oh, so, okay. as they say, Ford done went international. They did. <laughs> Ford was selling vehicles as fast as they can make them until everything came to a screeching halt on October 29, 1929, also known as Black Tuesday. The largest stock market crash in the history of the nation occurred on this date, which was the catalyst for the Great Depression of the 1930s. Literally, every industry was impacted by the Depression, and the automobile industry was no exception. In the spring of 1929, Ford Motor Company had over 128,000 employees. But by August of 1931, that number had dwindled to about 37,000, which was about a 70% decrease. Oh, yeah. Uh, by the late 1930s, the economy had bounced back, and Ford was once again producing cars at a pretty fast rate. It was during this time period that Ford introduced the Mercury line of cars. I'm sure you've heard of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was sort of uh, an in-between in terms of uh, price and luxury between uh, their normal Ford cars and the uh, upper-end Lincoln uh, Lincoln cars. By the 1940s, Ford turned its attention to manufacturing vehicles and engines for the U.S. military during World War II. Months after Pearl Harbor, Ford discontinued production of vehicles for civilians entirely and made products solely for the U.S. government. In fact, Ford actually made airplanes, airplane engines uh, during this time, as well as Jeeps and certain parts for tanks. Huh. The next several decades saw the introduction of the Thunderbird, the Mustang, the, the uh, Ford F-150, and the Explorer. Production steadily climbed to match a rapidly growing population from 1950 on. It was full steam ahead uh, through the 1990s and into the early 2000s as the economy kept improving and fuel and prices were relatively low. Eventually, the recession of 2008 hit and the auto industry was struck yet again. The major car companies met with Congress to request essentially a bailout. And this is the time of the infamous TARP funds. I'm not sure if you've ever uh, heard of that. I, I didn't know that one. I, yeah. I know the uh, circumstance, but I hadn't heard it called TARP funds. T yeah, yeah, TARP funds. So basically all the car uh, manufacturers came to Congress and just said, hey, we need help or we're, we're going to go bankrupt. And uh, there was a lot of debate about that, a lot of uh, criticism in the public, because obviously this is tax money yeah. that's going into these, to these private companies. And so Ford actually did not receive TARP funds, and they sort of pride themselves on that as being the only major car manufacturer that, did not, didn't do it. that, that did not do it. But did they receive other funds? Yes. And I think I think the abbreviation for them was TALK, TALK funds. Uh, but regardless, they did take a different kind of loan from the, uh, the federal government. Uh, actually, they received $5.9 billion. 
Wow. So $5.9 billion. But technically, uh, they did not take TARP funds. And that and the, the TARP uh, name was what was sort of drug through uh, the, the streets in terms of being on TV and, and really getting a bad rap. You think there's some federal funds out there for podcasts? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Pod fund. Pod fund. Right. Yeah, yeah. We, get, we, we have to look for that. Maybe we, we can go, we need uh, to go to Congress. Here before Congress. <laughs> yeah. <That's right>. yeah. <laughs> Things were going pretty well from uh, 2010 through 2018. In fact, in 2018, Ford's profits were $3.6 billion. But in 2019, Ford experienced a horrible fiscal year, only profiting $47 million. I know that sounds like that's all yeah. you made is $47 right. million. And you know, a $47 million profit is good for most businesses, but not an automotive company. Uh, it makes you wonder about their infrastructure and plant processes, because even though their profits were way down, they still sold 14% of all vehicles sold in America, which was second in the car industry, trailing only GM uh, who sold just a little bit under seventeen percent, but GM's profits were three billion. Wow! So they they so GM was one with a with actually a little more than a three billion dollar profit. Ford was was two with fourteen percent, but only made forty seven million. I wonder what was going on there because it sounded like a, an industry trend, and yet GM's doing far better. Yeah, in the profit. Region. Yeah, Ford just had a really really bad year. Overall, there were 2.4 million Ford vehicles sold last year, which means worldwide that there are 270 Ford vehicles sold every hour or 4.5 vehicles every minute somewhere in the world. So huh. somewhere in the world, four and a half. Every minute. Every minute, four and a like half Ford. Around yep. the clock. All the time. One of those were was me. I, I, I have a Ford Explorer parked outside. Hey, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a couple Fords over the years. I had, uh, we, we no longer have it, but I had a Ford Edge. Oh, sure. One time. Yeah. I, I like that. I like, I like that those. vehicle. Yeah. So remember uh, earlier I had mentioned a strange fact involving Henry Ford and Thomas Edison? Oh, yeah. I've been on pins and needles. Do you remember that? I do. Okay. So you may want to have a seat for this one. All right. <laughs> this I'm sitting down. This one's a little strange. Should, should I strap in? Or? Uh, sure. Yeah. Just, right, do you just, just hold, hold on. Okay. So Thomas Edison... And Henry Ford were, were, were very tight, right? So, uh, I mean, Thomas Edison was sort of his mentor. Uh, Ford looked up to Edison, you know, thought the world of him. He worked for them, you know, earlier. So uh, when Edison turned ill and it was apparent that he was on his deathbed, Henry Ford asked Thomas Edison's... So, okay, so again, let's just think about this. Okay. Henry Ford, okay, yeah. <laughs> and Thomas Edison. There's two pretty big historical names, the, Those right? names mean something that, you're when right. you say okay. them. Yeah. Okay, so just... I'm with you. Just want to make sure everybody understands <laughs> that. Okay. So Henry Ford asks Thomas Edison's son that uh, he asks him to basically stand by his father and take a test tube... And the moment... <laughs> I don't like where you're going with this. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And the moment that he passes away to literally capture the man's dying breath and then put the lid in the test tube and bring it back bring it back to Henry Ford. <laughs> what? For, for what reason? I don't know. That's the scary part of but that test tube containing the dying breath of Thomas Edison is in the Ford Motor Company Museum as we speak. He did it? He did it. Yep, you can go online and Google that. Bring it up. Yep. So let's back up. That, that's a lot to take in. There's not a whole lot of backing up to do. He's just like, you know, hey, man, here's what I, uh, I know this is going to be a little weird, but this is what I want. Oh, it's going to be a lot weird, though. <laughs> so you stand up, but I know you're going to be very emotional. Yeah. 
Well, that's the thing. Let's, let's let's dissect that for a minute because all right. So you've got you've got this situation. It's a very emotionally charged situation. The man's dying. The man's father's dying. That's correct. <laughs> okay, check that happened. Uh, and then Henry Ford requests that Thomas Edison's son capture his dying breath. Did I capture all that? That is correct. Yeah. So he wanted Thomas Edison's son to stand over his father and literally the moment he dies to get a test tube out and to put that toward his lips and then <laughs> capture the air, top off the test tube, and then take that back to Henry Ford. <laughs> I have, I have no warrior on So that happened. <laughs> that happened. Now, how did he know it was his last breath? I mean, that's, that's fairly calculated. <laughs> there may have been multiple test tubes. <laughs> I'm not sure on that one. Oh, man. Do they also have like his third to last breath? I wonder. <laughs> I don't know. And and I wonder what breath in a test tube really looks like. Is it just some fog on the glass? I mean, is there some <laughs> it looks, condensation it looks, that you can see? It looks kind of empty, to be honest, Does when you look it? at it. There may be like maybe a speck or two, but it, I don't know. It's just it's just I creepy. wonder how aware Thomas Edison was of this process. You know, obviously, he's on his deathbed, but is he bought into this? Like, all right. Here it comes. Get the two. I've probably got three left. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, you know, I mean, I would hate to think. You know, hate to think the last thing that he sees is this glass tube coming toward him, and then he's like, "What's this about?" And then that's it. Having no idea. And his son too. I mean, just buying into that. Like, yeah, that that's normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did it. Here's the test. Here's the test tube kit. Let's get this rolling. I mean, man, that's amazing. So that's that's on display somewhere. Yes, it, it is on display in the uh, Ford Motor Company Museum. And then, like I said, you can get online and do a little research and, and find out about it. That's one of the strangest. I'm sure that's the strangest thing that's there in that museum. Oh, I'm, I'm certain. That's probably the case. So, Jason, we've uh, discussed Sam Walton and the Walmart Company. We've talked about Henry Ford and the Ford Motor Company. I- anything else you would add uh, about either of these huge, huge companies or, and or their influence on I'm, American culture? I mean, no, not really anything additional. It's just, I mean, literally everyone's been touched by these two companies. I mean, everyone's been to Walmart. Probably everyone's either owned a Ford or a family member's owned a Ford or, or whatever. So, I mean, uh, these two companies are sort of for ever interwoven in the in the fabric of America. They so are. I think uh, these two were definitely worth uh, the time to research. Yeah, fun study, fun yep. background. Uh, th- and we just want to take a moment here at the end to thank everyone who is listening from week to week. You can follow us on social media. Uh, make sure to like and check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us with the handle at SlapdashBot. We'll catch you in the next episode. Take care, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>